0: You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, The Great Exchange, is part four in the series, Americans, Chapter One, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thank you so much to our choir. Thank you, Joel, for stepping in and all of our singers and musicians today. And thank you again for being here. I want to ask at this time, if you would please find in your Bible, Romans chapter 1, the book of Romans chapter 1. In a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse 24. In the last few decades, America has undergone a massive moral revolution. The older you are, the more profound that change has been in your lifetime. If you were born in the 1900s like me, uh, you have seen a massive cultural change in America. And those changes can be felt in nearly every area of life. What started with the normalization of same-sex attraction has led to the legalization of gay marriage, the relentless repetition of those letters LGBTQ, and the plus sign at the end that indicates, of course, that this is not all. There are more changes to come. Added to that, the insistence that there are multiple gender identities, The confusion over pronouns the debate about transgender athletes and so on and so on and so on the changes have been massive in this moral revolution and the question that I ask and we all ask and what I'm going to try to address today is how did we get here in such a relatively short period of time How did we get here? How have all these changes taken place? Uh, Depending on who you ask that question to, you're going to get different answers. Some people will say, well, we live in an age of enlightenment in America where we have finally shed our antiquated oppressive views of sexuality and we have seen the light of justice and freedom and compassion. Some people will give you more of a political answer. Some will give you more of a sociological or an educational answer to that question for, to explain all of the changes that have taken place. But as Christians, we of course see those changes through the lens of Scripture. We, we find our bearings in the Word of God, in the Bible, and so we see it that way And we believe that is the truthful way to see what has taken place. Here in Romans chapter 1, the word for what has happened in our culture is not the word change, but it's the word exchange, as in this great exchange that has happened uh, where we have exchanged one set of values for another, and that explains for us How we have arrived in this strange place in our culture in America with a new morality that not all that long ago was considered to be immorality. I've been preaching through Romans chapter 1 this month and I find Romans chapter 1 to be so relevant to our current situation in America that we might as well call it Americans chapter 1. And today... We come to the verses that are the most talked about in this chapter. In fact, many people in the world look at these verses that we're about to read, and they say uh, those are very controversial, and yet we would see them as just being the settled truth of the Word of God that we stand together on. Last week, in the verses that lead up to this section, we read that God has revealed the truth of His existence to all humanity, all people everywhere. And he's done it through his creation and through what he has written on our hearts, our conscience. Humanity, we read in Romans 1, is hardwired to perceive and to know God. And yet people suppress that truth And in suppressing that truth that God has revealed about himself, they cancel God. That's the answer of atheism. Or they replace God. That's the answer of idolatry. Uh, But however they handle that, if you displace God in your life, if you suppress that truth that God has revealed about himself, you end up standing before God in condemnation without excuse, deserving his judgment. And that's why Paul makes the point here. This is why he says all this in Romans 1, that everybody needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really is the only answer to humanity's problems. Jesus is the only way to be rescued from our sin and saved from God's judgment. And so Paul wrote to the Romans here, look, I want to come and see you. And if I'm able to come see you, I'll tell you up front what I'm going to talk about when I preach. I'm going to preach that Jesus loves lost sinners and Jesus came into the world to save us. That's what I'm going to preach. It's the gospel of Christ and everybody everywhere needs to hear it. That's why we send out teams uh, all, all over the place to Denver and Memphis and Rio and And uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Because we believe everyone in all of those places needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really is our only hope. Uh, So Paul, in that uh, argument, he gets down to verse 24. and, And what he does is he shows us the results of displacing God in our lives. And he shows us how sin actually progresses... And becomes darker and more perverted and more unnatural the farther we go into it. And uh, so I want to begin by reading just the first phrase of verse 24. and, And we need to camp out there just for a minute to get our bearings to understand the rest of this passage. Okay? Verse 24. The Bible says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now, what does it mean for God to give people up? Uh, The language here and the context indicates that when God gives people up, what that means is that when people are determined to suppress the truth that God has revealed about himself and cancel or replace God, then God judges them by letting them have their way. Uh, letting them go their way in sin. Uh, In other words, he allows sin to run its course and for those who pursue that to suffer the consequences. When I I think about that and and what it means for God to give them up, uh, I, I think about, uh, when I was a kid, I don't ride horses anymore. I don't want to ride horses anymore. but as a kid, I rode a lot of horses on my grandmother's farm in West Tennessee. Uh, her last name was Walker, and, and the farm is Walker spelled backwards, Reclaw, Reclaw Farm. On that farm, it was a dairy farm, hundreds of cows, a lot of row crops that they grew to feed the cows. But then they also had a few horses, and we would ride those horses. There was one in particular that was very gentle, a big horse named Babe. And all of the adults would tell us kids every time we got on Babe, now look, Babe is really gentle, but when you turn her toward the barn, you better not give her her head. I wasn't sure what that meant when I first heard it. What does it mean to give a horse its head Well, it means you just let them go wherever they want to go. And they said, don't give her her head. You hold back or that horse is going to run willy-nilly, hurt you and hurt herself. And so don't give her her head. Hold on, hold her back. Here's what we find that God does when we are determined to suppress the truth and to ignore him is that he will will allow us, and this is what Paul states, he will allow us to have our head and, and just to go into sin. God, it seems, has permitted humanity to slide deeper and deeper into their sin if they're determined to reject his truth and to become more and more blind to the truth and more and more vulnerable to Satan's lies. And so with that understood, uh, let's read verses 24 through 27. The Bible says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. He he let them go in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. There's that phrase again. God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Now, when you read here uh, that word natural, it's natural use. Uh, That means this is the way that God has created humanity to live. And so uh, when you read the word natural, it's talking about the, God's created order in his world. And by the way, you and I don't get to choose how God has ordered the world that he made. It's his world. He's the creator. He's the one that decides how he's going to run it and, and uh, how it's governed and how we are to live our lives. So when you read that word natural, that means The way that God created it to be. His created intention. So again, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another... Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So at the end of verse 27, here's what we see happen. When God allows us to just have what we want and deal with the consequences of that, uh, what happens always is those consequences. Verse 27 says, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. In this passage, I see three exchanges that I want to point out. And I think it's going to help us to understand this. Three exchanges. The first one is found in verse 25 when it says that they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. It's the definite article there. This is the lie that, that causes so much damage and chaos. They, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Now, what is that lie? Uh, I tried, I just have trouble explaining that in just one phrase or even one sentence. And so I want to give you a, a few statements that I think will express the lie that verse 25 is talking about, at least the, the, how that lie has taken hold in America in 2023. And so I'm going to give you these statements to explain it. The first one, and it always begins here, and that is that the God of the Bible probably does not exist. If he does, then he's not worthy of worship. And so you are free to be God in your own life. That's where the lie begins. Forget God. Forget the God of the Bible Even if he does exist, you don't have to worry about him. And so here's what you do. You just be the God of your own life. You can make your own rules because you're God in your own life. Uh, You can make your own judgments as to what is good and what is evil. You can decide your own truth. And then you live according to whatever feels right to you. That's your truth. Whatever feels right. You live according to that uh, because you're the God of your own life. Now, the Bible gives us warnings like Proverbs fourteen twelve that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so that dangerous lie always begins there. Hey, don't worry about God. You just be God in your own life. And then that leads to this next statement, and that is the most important thing in life is not glorifying God, but it's being true to yourself. So if you're the God of your own life, then uh, you can just forget about the God of the Bible and just be true to your own feelings. Be true to your own thoughts, your own desires. And, And here's what you tell yourself. You just tell yourself, look, I get to decide who I am. Nobody else is going to force their definition on me. I get to decide who I am. I get to decide what I am and what I will do and with whom I will do it. And nobody is going to force their rules on me or some identity on me. I decide who I am, and so I'm going to be true to myself. That's the lie. In other words, You can just worship yourself. If you're God in your own life, you worship yourself. You live to please yourself. Uh, The way we hear it so many times in America today is just be true to yourself. This is what Paul says in verse 25. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So it's not about what God wants, it's about what I want because I am the God of my own life. And then logically the lie has to go to this place, this third statement, and that is the greatest virtue is affirming and celebrating every person's expression of their own truth. Right? Because your truth is not the only truth out there. If everybody just gets to be God in their own life, everybody lives by a different set of rules and standards. And so here's what you ought to do. You ought to affirm and respect and celebrate however another person chooses to live their life and express their own particular truth. And if you don't, then you are an unenlightened homophobic hater. That's the big lie that many have bought into. There is no God I get to be God in my own life. I get to make my own rules, and so I will just live to please myself, and, and and I won't be able to judge anybody. That's the lie. And when we pursue that lie, we think we're living in freedom, but we are not. We think we're chasing happiness. But what we end up chasing in that lie is an empty promise of fulfillment. There is no fulfillment because there is no truth there. So verse 24 says that God has given them up to just fall headlong into this lie and to suffer the consequences. In Paul's day, this was evident in the Roman Empire. That dismissing the one true God, they had fallen into the lie that they could do whatever they wanted to do. And so there was all kinds of uh, immorality going on. In America, it seems that we have taken it even farther to the extremes of where that lie will lead us. Let me give you just one example. The extremity of that lie in our culture today says that any form of Christian counseling or evangelism where where you would take your Bible and sit down with someone who's struggling with gender identity or same-sex attraction and, and from God's Word, share with them, here's how much God loves you, here's what God has created you to be, that has been deemed to be hateful and abusive to the LGBTQ community. But that lie also leads us to the point that uh, saying a man can become a woman is seen as being perfectly reasonable and that the use of puberty blockers and sex change surgery and books that describe to children how they can explore sexual perversion, that is seen as progress and compassion. No wonder, Paul said, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. We're living now in the extremity of that lie. Uh, So the first exchange that I find here is is exchanging the truth of God for the lie. The second one is this, exchanging the natural for the unnatural. Uh, We need to read verses 26 and 27 again. Uh, it says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. Uh, so again, when you see that word natural, this is how God has ordered his world. This is the way he, uh, he wills that human beings function and behave. We see it stated in Genesis 1, uh, where the Bible says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis twenty twenty four says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That one flesh language in the Bible means a sexual union between two people. And so the, the created order that God has given us is that that one flesh relationship is for a man and a woman who are married to each other. In the New Testament, Jesus affirms God's created order for human sexuality. And that is, uh, again, a man and a woman who are married to each other. That's the only sexual union that God blesses. That's affirmed all through scripture. And God has ordained that to be beautiful and normal and and natural. Many in our culture today would argue that uh, we don't need boundaries like that. What we need when it comes to human sexuality for human flourishing, we don't need boundaries. We need We need freedom from boundaries. And yet what we find in God's word is that he's done something wonderful. He has given sexuality as a gift. And then he has given us freedom within the boundaries that he has set up for that of a man and a woman who are married to each other. But but look at what Paul writes about how God's intended order has been taken out of bounds And twisted into something else. Uh, That same-sex union is described in this passage, in verse 24, as dishonoring your body. In verse 26, it's described as a vile passion. Something that is against nature. In verse 27... He talks about leaving the natural use. And he uses that word in verse 27, shameful for that kind of, of sexual expression. Now, let's be honest. You can't read that and then conclude that this behavior is somehow acceptable to God. You cannot read that and conclude that that behavior is somehow acceptable to God. Now, in case you're wondering, Paul is not just randomly picking on same-sex behavior here. Uh, I think it's because it was so prevalent in Roman society. And his point is that uh, homosexuality is one of those sins that's so obviously unnatural. It's a direct inversion of God's intended order. And it's a clear example of what happens when we reject God's truth. Here's what happens every time we reject God's truth. We find ourselves craving that which we are not naturally designed to have. And we see that as Christians as something to be saved from, not not to be celebrated. And so we could never go along with our culture and, and affirm and celebrate that. Um, if you're new, you may wonder, uh, where does our church stand on this issue? And let me just say it as, as clearly as I can. As a church, we will continue to stand on the authority of Scripture, which teaches that sex is for marriage, marriage is for a man and a woman. And we're not going to compromise that truth in order to accommodate cultural changes that's not the way this works Uh, as a Christian we stand on God's truth and uh, when the culture says bend we don't bend and and uh, come what may we're going to stand together on the truth of God's word Uh, now the pressure is pretty intense to compromise the cultural pressure, not just for churches, but uh, for denominations who are dealing with this. Uh, some have dealt uh, well with it. Some have dealt uh, poorly with it. Uh, but but even closer to home, I mean, the the cultural pressure to compromise uh, in uh, schools, in the workplace, is intense. And it's real, and and the the pressure is intense, even more so in families that are in the middle of struggling with this issue. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. We intend to just anchor down in the truth of the Bible. And we don't think being true to God's Word means being unloving or hateful or judgmental or bigoted. We see it as just a fundamental part of what it means to be a faithful Christian church. Uh, But here's where I believe that we have often failed uh, as uh, the body of Christ in the world, as, as the church, big C. And that is that many times I think we've been faithful to the truth But we have been lacking in our love. And uh, listen, the church ought to be a place where we love everyone. Now, we can't agree with everyone. We can't celebrate everyone's choices. But we can show love to everyone. The same Bible that forbids us to affirm uh, ungodly behavior also commands us that we're to love. Uh, So we, we, we must do that. I want to tell you today that Jesus loves you no matter what sin you're involved in. Whether you're a heterosexual couple who's sleeping together or a husband with a porn problem or a person who identifies with L or G or B or T or whatever. Jesus loves you No matter what you've done, no matter what has you trapped, and no matter who you're attracted to, Jesus loves you. And Jesus, here's the message we have, and we're just going to be relentless about sharing this. Jesus can rescue you from whatever sin you're caught up in. And our plan as a church is that we're going to stand on God's word and we're going to love everyone that God loves. And God loves everyone. And, and we just believe we can do that, that we can be compassionate without compromising. And so we're going to be relentless about sharing the good news of the third exchange, the one that I want to leave you with today. Remember the first exchange is they exchange the truth of God for the lie. The second one is they exchange what is uh, natural for what is unnatural. The third exchange is good news. And that good news is that you can exchange, and this is why Paul wrote the book of Romans, for heaven's sake. You can exchange the judgment of God for the grace of God. Verse 18 of Romans 1 says that we're all under condemnation. We all deserve God's judgment. And yet, God has provided a way of escape. That Jesus came into this world. He assumed responsibility for all of our sins on the cross. He died for us. So that if we place our faith in him. Our sins are washed away. And they are all removed and canceled. And we can be saved and brought out of judgment. And into the grace of God and salvation. So uh, we're just going to keep sharing that. Uh, I want to ask you to go to this one place. And I want to end with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is another letter that Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 9 and 10. Now as we read this remember that Paul is writing to a church full of believers, Christians and here's what he writes. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, unrighteous is another word for those who are lost in their sin in the world. They're without Christ. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And he he starts a list. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And so what he does is he mentions several types of sins and he puts them all in the same category. And he says that those who practice those lifestyles in their lostness, they will not Inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to be saved. And he mentions the homosexual lifestyle in the list as one of the ways that we take God's gift and we distort it to fulfill our own desires instead of fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. And in the same category, he puts fornication and adultery and extortion and drunkenness. But then look at verse 11. In the next breath... He says, and such were some of you. He's talking to Christians here. And such were some of you. Don't you love that phrase? Because it's in the past tense. He says, look, that's all in the past now. That's not who you are anymore. Jesus has changed your identity. He's changed your life. Jesus has changed your heart. He's changed your desires and He's changed your destiny. Such were some of you. The Corinthian church is like our church. In that church, they had ex fornicators who got saved, they had ex adulterers and ex thieves and ex alcoholics. Same here. But Jesus has changed our lives. And many Christians were never guilty of those particular sins. But every Christian, I'm telling you, was sinful and broken and lost before they met Jesus. And I stand at the very front of that line. We're just a bunch of forgiven sinners around here. And, and Jesus has changed us. We're different now because of His grace. Now, How did He do it? Look at at verse 11. He said, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. How did did he do it? Well, he he says that uh, the Lord has done three things. It says he washed us. He washed our sins away and he gave us a new life. He says we were sanctified. That is, God broke the chains of sin that dominated us and he's given us his spirit to indwell us and to empower us to live a holy life different from before. And he's justified us. That is, he has changed our standing before God. He has applied his righteousness to us and declared us to be holy and innocent and guiltless before God. And that's the power of the gospel of Christ. We're gonna be, uh, we, we as long as God gives us breath, we're gonna share that good news, that that there is salvation no matter what you've done. And so, uh, if you struggle with same sex attraction, or your identity, or whether you're in whether you're involved in that lifestyle, or or you're in a place of Uh, confusion and struggle and pain about that, here's my offer. I want to invite you to come to Jesus, to surrender your life to Him, to surrender your desires to Him, to bring your sins to Him and let Him love you and let Him change you. And you may think nobody understands, I want to tell you this. Jesus understands. Jesus understands what you're feeling and what you're going through. And I know that we don't always get it right. But we love you. And we want to help you to find hope in Christ. And uh, if you've already come to Jesus and yet you still struggle... Listen, here's what a church does. We, we want to be a family to you. And, and we want to help you and come alongside you in your struggle with the Word of God and, and the truth of Scripture and the Gospel of Christ. We want to come along beside you and help you struggle. We want to help you struggle all the way to victory in Jesus. And we believe that's possible by His grace. All right, let's pray about this. I think we need to pray about it. Would you stand with me and just join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone here today who is lost in their sin. And Lord, some think nobody understands. It feels hopeless. Lord, for whoever that is, I pray that they will be saved today. In fact, Lord, I I pray that right now, whoever that might be, someone in this room, someone watching us, I pray that they would right now call upon Jesus for salvation. And if that's you, would you just tell him, Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross and you rose from the dead to save me. And I'm asking you now, come into my life, forgive me, save me. And Lord, I pray that their life would be changed beginning today. And if that's you, if you've just called on the Lord for salvation, I wanna invite you to come forward even while we're still bowing our heads and closing our eyes and our pastors are going to be standing here ready to talk with you and help you to take that step of faith if you need more explanation they want to help you with that so I encourage you to come right now as we continue to pray Heavenly Father I pray for families who are struggling oh Lord our hearts go out to them those who are right in the middle of this struggle with a family member. I pray for those who are in that struggle right now. And it's hard. Lord, we pray for a breakthrough today. We pray for your comfort today. And that by your grace, you'd open our hearts to receive truth. Help us as a church, Lord, to do this well. To never bend to accommodate the culture, but to also reach out with compassion to help those who are hurting. And if that's someone's need, lead us, Lord to help them move from that point of need to find hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Sevierville podcast.